Deuteronomy 31. We will not get through the entire chapter today. My desire is to cover the first eight verses of Deuteronomy 31. And it is my ambition to finish Deuteronomy in approximately five sermons. We shall see. But we're nearing the end, aren't we? 34 is the final chapter of Deuteronomy. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. This morning, Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 through 8, and because this is the word of God and you are the people of God on the Lord's day, if you are able, would you please stand? Moses writes as he is carried along by the Spirit. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Change can be painful, can't it? It feels as if or it appears to rob us of the familiar and at times steal from us that which we have grown to love. With change comes uncertainty. What we have grown to depend on is jeopardized and we become unsettled and unmoored from what we presumed was stable in our lives. While change can be and is often difficult, it is inevitable. While we may prefer that things stay the way they are, we know intuitively, don't we? And we know by experience that things will change. We change. People that we love change. Circumstances change. It seems at times as if everything 
is in a constant state of flux. For this reason, it is important to learn to adapt to change, isn't it? In fact, it's been said, quote, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. (laughs) Then, of course, it's the end of the road. (laughs) Learning to make turns is necessary in a life that is constantly changing. As Israel stands on the plains of Moab here in Deuteronomy chapter 31, they have listened to the man who has spoken on behalf of God for the previous 40 years. For many, this leader, preacher, and prophet was the only human overseer they had ever known. This leader is Moses. And as we just read, he is now 120 years of age, if you can imagine. By the way, by anyone's standard, that's old. (laughs) As a result, his days on this earth are nearing the end. So the man who led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness is about to be replaced by another. A significant change in leadership is about to take place. Doubtless, this change for Israel will be difficult, but according to God's providential care for his people, it will be good. This is the context in which we find ourselves in our text this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 8. In this text, the big question is this, how will the Lord lead Israel once Moses is gone? How will God do it? How will he lead Israel once Moses is gone? And to answer this question, we are going to walk through the text in three stages. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. First, we will identify Israel's problem. We've already done it, but we're going to unpack it just a moment. First, Israel's problem. Second, in the text, we will seek to identify and unpack God's promise. God's promise. And then finally, after looking together at Israel's problem and God's promise, we will conclude evaluating what I would call our practice. Our practice, which is another way of saying ways in which this text informs our faith and our lives this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Israel's problem, God's promise, and then finally our practice. Let's begin by looking together at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. So Moses, the text says, continued to speak these words to all Israel. Then verse 2, he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. So here we discover Israel's problem. So just to state it with clarity, here's Israel's problem. Moses... God's chosen leader for the previous 40 years will not lead Israel into the land of Canaan. That is a perceived problem, I would imagine, as an Israelite. Moses, God's chosen leader over Israel for the previous 40 years, will not be the one God uses to lead Israel into the land of Canaan. Moses is aware of what is happening. And this is humbling. Moses knows precisely what is taking place. 
After all, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, we learn that Moses disobeyed the Lord. And he disobeyed the Lord by striking a rock God told him simply to speak to. And in this fit, he didn't treat the Lord as holy, the text tells us. By so doing, he merited God's judgment. Moses would not enter the land with Israel. And there's still more to come in Deuteronomy all the way up to the very end concerning Moses. But here we learn it will not be Moses who leads Israel into the land. How difficult it must have been to lead Israel through the challenges of wandering through the wilderness only to be removed right before they inherited the promise. How humbling, how challenging. And yet we are told that Moses, of course, was humble like none other. And this is a demonstration of that humility. On the other hand, we know the rest of the story, by the way. This is just something that I feel is appropriate to mention on account of all of the canon of Scripture, that is, all of the Bible. Moses' final hope was not in the land of Canaan. But his final hope was in the full inheritance that would be brought about through the coming of Jesus Christ. And I want you to recall, we won't turn there. This is just a, this is free. It was Moses along with Elijah who was privileged to be in Christ's presence on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is to say, when the inheritance stood on the mountain, in the person of Jesus. It was Moses and Elijah, privileged to stand alongside him. So God is not finished with Moses in Deuteronomy 31. Please understand, he will not be finished with Moses in Deuteronomy 34. However, Moses will not be the one to lead Israel into their inheritance in the land of Canaan. Secondly, I want you to see God's promise and we'll spend the majority of our time here. God's promise. Here it is in a nutshell. God himself will lead Israel into the land through Joshua. That's his promise. You see, the problem is the man that has led you these 40 years, he's not going to be the man who leads you into the promised land. They're on the plains of Moab, about to enter the land of Canaan. The man they have known for decades to be a faithful leader will now pass away and he'll be replaced. But what Israel must know is this, it is God himself who will continue to lead Israel. But he'll do so by means of another man a younger, less experienced man. I say younger, perhaps 80 years old at this point. (laughs) Young is relative. A young man will step up to lead God's people, this youth group, if you will. Look with me at verse 3a. I've stolen that. It just occurred to me. I believe it was El Moeller that I heard say that. Look at me at verse 3a. So the very first part of verse 3, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. That's the emphasis. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. Israel is losing the leadership of Moses, but they have someone superior to Moses. They have the leadership of the Lord. They have the one who has always led them. 
Israel will indeed have a new human leader on the one hand, but on the other hand, they will be led by the same God. And for this reason, they can trust, in the midst of change, they can trust that which is unchanging. You see, that's the key, by the way. And we will come back to this, opening up the package for you a little early, giving you a sneak peek. We will come back to this when we talk about our practice. But that's the key to enduring change faithfully. Resting on that which is unchanging. If change leaves you crippled, let me submit to you, perhaps you are resting on that which changes, not that which doesn't change. And we'll come back. <clears throat> so God's faithful, kind, and effective leadership over his people is not dependent on any human leader. This was true regarding Moses. It, will remain, it remains true today. It was true regarding Joshua. Now, notice verse three in its entirety, and we'll get to Joshua here because this gets incredibly rich. Look at verse three again. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. Then notice, and Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. So the Lord will lead Israel. However, he will lead Israel through a human agent through Joshua. Now there is... There's something interesting about the way Joshua is described in the text that is often lost in translation from Hebrew to English. And even from Greek, if you're looking at the Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint to English. The ESV doesn't capture this well. I'm not sure why. By the way, we have fantastic English translations. I believe this will be another feather in your hat if you're holding the New American Standard Bible. I believe the New American Standard Bible does capture this. <laughs> there it is and just a plug I think Pastor Phil preached out of the New American Standard Bible perhaps I should change <laughs> the Lord's leadership and Joshua's leadership in the text are so closely related that Joshua's leadership, now we're talking about just the way the text reads. We're talking about the way the Hebrew structure is placed in the text, the syntax, the grammar, and the words that are chosen. The Lord's leadership and Joshua's leadership are so closely related that they are virtually indistinguishable. Look closely at verse 3a. I'll show you. I'll try to show you in English. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. Now that is fairly straightforward. The Lord your God himself, hear the emphasis? And then will go over before you. That, I think that's a faithful translation. Then at the conclusion of verse three, we could translate the way Joshua is described in this way. I would submit that, I mean, if I were doing the translation, they didn't call me to do the translation. Had they called me, I would have done something like this. Joshua himself will go over before you. So the beginning of verse three, the Lord, your God himself will go over before you. End of verse three, Joshua himself will go over before you. Same phrases. The same phrases. So the Lord's leadership of Israel, while not dependent on Joshua, is certainly at this stage of Israel's life inseparable from Joshua's leadership. In following Joshua, here's the point, they will be following the Lord. God is not dependent on Joshua. Don't misunderstand. But Joshua is God's instrument of leadership over his people. 
So in disobeying Joshua and refusing to follow Joshua, they will be refusing to follow the Lord God himself. And that's an emphasis in the text. Remember that we aren't merely interested in what the Lord did a few millennia ago through an ancient people and an ancient leader named Joshua. That's not merely our interest. We are interested in that. We are interested further in reading this text as God's instruction for us as followers of Jesus Christ in the 21st century right here at First Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee. And the early church gives us some help here. Surprise, surprise. Early Christian interpreters draw attention to a text. And by the way, you know, I'm not encouraging you to turn there. You can jot this down if you like. I'm not going to dive into the pew and prevent you from turning if you choose to do so. But Numbers 13, verse 16 is a text that early Christian interpreters drew attention to. Numbers 13, verse 16 is where we learn that Joshua's name originally was Hosea. Hosea. However, Moses called him Joshua. Yehoshua. Yehoshua. Name changes are noteworthy in Scripture. Various reasons for them, but they're noteworthy. Additionally, now follow with me here. Additionally, if you were reading the same Old Testament as the early church, you would be holding in your hands the Greek translation or the Septuagint. And in Greek, the name Joshua, Yehoshua, is translated Iesus. which is the name Jesus. Moreover, Jesus and Joshua are also essentially the same in Hebrew. By the way, Joshua is just a longer form of Jesus. In Hebrew, we would say it, Yehoshua, and we would shorten it to Yeshua. Same name. These early Christians read the story about Jesus, the son of Nun. Joshua, as a story foreshadowing, pointing ahead to Jesus, the Son of God. They observed that as Joshua led the people of Israel out of the wilderness into the fulfillment of God's promises in the land of blessing located in Canaan, so Jesus, the better Joshua, is leading his people out of the wilderness wanderings throughout this life into the fulfillment of the Father's promises when Jesus Christ returns. And this parallel continues even to Moses as a reference to God's law. Don't don't miss this. How many authors are there finally of the text of Scripture? There's one. Scripture is authored by God. So it makes sense that there's a single story and that what was promised in the Old Covenant, is fulfilled in the New Covenant. Moses, Moses is faithful, is he not? He's faithful as the one who is privileged to lead Israel out of Egypt in the wilderness. However, the stamp on his leadership is the law given on Mount Sinai. And the law, of course, was a gift from God. But the law was incapable of saving. I would submit to you, for this reason, Moses would not lead Israel into the fulfillment of God's promises. Moses, as a representative of the law, was being replaced by Joshua, 
a representative of the gospel. You see this? It's difficult, by the way, as you're reading early church fathers, it's difficult not to find this. If they're preaching on anything related to Joshua, this comes up. The law of God, although good, is incapable of saving sinners. Romans 8 verse 3 indicates, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Moses is going to die indeed because his death and the absence of the privilege to lead Israel into the land of Canaan is a demonstration and a manifestation of God's judgment. But additionally, I would submit to you as we read this as a part of the broader story of scripture, Moses is not going to lead Israel into the fulfillment of the promised land because the law was not capable of doing so. And isn't it beautiful that in his mercy, God actually appoints someone named Jesus to be the one who will lead Israel into the fulfillment of God's promises in the land of Canaan. Coincidence? I don't think so. As we say from time to time, it's almost as if there were a single author of Scripture. So Deuteronomy 31 is a call. It's a call to you this morning. It's a call to me this morning to trust in and follow the leadership of God in Christ. It's a, it's a call to follow the better Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God who alone can lead us into our eternal inheritance that God has prepared for us by means of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you've not trusted in Christ, understand the way we talk about these things here at First Baptist Powell is a book that was written so many years ago about an ancient people was actually written by God through human authors. And all of these books point us to the fulfillment that was brought about in the person and work of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. We would propose to you that you can have life eternal. You can have an inheritance that's greater than the inheritance in the land of Canaan. You can have, as it were, a better country. You can have life and fellowship with other followers of Jesus in the presence of God on account of the work of Jesus Christ. And you can receive that through faith in Christ. And so we plead with you this morning, if you've not surrendered to Jesus Christ or you've not embraced Jesus Christ in faith, if you've not come to treasure Christ above everything, including life itself, then please don't leave here without doing so. And if you have questions about this, you can say after the service. We would love to visit with you. You can grab me after the service. You can grab a friend around you. Perhaps you've, you've come with someone else who's a follower of Jesus or a member of this church. You could also, as you leave this room, take a left. And on the right-hand side out there, there's that room called the crossroads. And many things happen there. And in the crossroads, there will be a pastor in that room who would love to talk with you about what it means to come to treasure, love, and serve the better Joshua, Jesus Christ, the one to whom Joshua points. 
Israel's victory, so back to this story, Israel's victory over Sihon and Og brought up again in verse four. If you look down at the text, Deuteronomy 31, verse four, this victory is a consistent picture throughout the Old Testament of the Lord's faithfulness and power to defeat the enemies of God's people. He did this, of course, through Moses. He'll do greater things through Joshua. And notice that Israel was to be obedient to the whole commandment, that language that's used there in verse five, God had given them in dealing with the inhabitants of Canaan. God had told them exactly what to do with the inhabitants of Canaan. And what he's saying here is that partial or selective obedience will be no obedience at all. They are obligated to obey entirely. We find we find this refrain, and with this we'll move on to our final point as we unpack this. We find this refrain here in Deuteronomy 31 that I do want to draw your attention to, and it recurs early in the book of Joshua. Look with me at verse 6. So as this transition is happening, as, as Moses is going to be stepping aside, and Joshua is going to be stepping into the position of leadership under God's authority, over Israel, as this is taking place at verse six, the Lord exhorts Israel through Moses with these words, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. You see, that's essential to understanding what's taking place. God himself is present with his people. It's also, by the way, one of the ways in which Joshua pictures the coming of Jesus. Jesus, of course, who is giving the title Emmanuel, which means God with us. But here God promises his people, I will be with you, and because I am with you, you have nothing to be afraid of. Again in verse eight, the Lord promises Joshua now through Moses. So he says this to Israel, and then through Moses, he says this to Joshua. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Very similar to verse six. And as I mentioned a moment ago, this refrain, be strong and courageous, it is the Lord who is with you. Do not fear. I will not leave you or forsake you. These concepts reappear in the book of Joshua, which is the next book after Deuteronomy. One of our dear sisters here at the church told me, sent me an email and said, I don't know if you know this, but there's a book after Deuteronomy. <laughs> she didn't say it precisely in that way. I loved it as I read it. Big smile on my face. She was suggesting that we just keep moving. Said, well, we may come back to Joshua eventually. But in the book of Joshua, we learn very early on these same words, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you. And these words actually become a comfort to followers of Jesus Christ as we learn later in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, where God now through Jesus Christ gives this promise grants this promise to every single follower of Christ. I will never leave you or forsake you. God promises his presence with us. By the way, this leads us to passages like Matthew 28, the Great Commission, verses 18 and 20, where Jesus declares after his resurrection, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. And then he commissions his disciples as he has commissioned us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, what? I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's it. So God's promise to Israel in Deuteronomy 31, 6. God's promise to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, 8. And that promise gets extended to the early chapters of Joshua. That promise materializes for us and climaxes in the person of Christ. We can be confident as followers of Jesus that God has granted to us his presence. Where we go in God's mercy, he goes. Well, we've observed Israel's problem. Moses, God's chosen leader for 40 years, will not be the man who leads Israel into the land of Canaan. Secondly, we found God's promise in response to Israel's problem. God himself will lead Israel into the inheritance. And he'll do so through the leadership of Joshua who foreshadowed and pictured a greater Joshua. God in the flesh, Jesus the Christ. Let's conclude our time by reflecting on our practice. And I'm gonna give you just a couple of ways that I think this text grows legs and walks in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. If you're in a community group, perhaps you're meeting tonight, you can talk about these further. If you're not meeting in a community group this evening, perhaps you can visit with friends or family members later about the ways in which this text, this problem and this promise actually impacts us as followers of Christ. Let me give you a couple of ways. First, first, in the midst of change, let me exhort you to trust in the God who is unchanging. In the midst of change, trust in the God who is unchanging. As we have mentioned, Israel is experiencing in the text a tremendous change. Their pastor, as it were, of 40 years is stepping aside. And they've got this this new kid, 80-year-old child, (laughs) in leadership. Change is inevitable, brothers and sisters. It's inevitable, you know that. In fact, I'll never forget my mom telling me this. I think my mom even told my beloved wife this. We were talking with her, and I don't remember, perhaps it was before marriage. I, the, the conversations I remember is with my mom as I was preparing for marriage. And then she continues to say this to the present day, and it's so very wise. It's something that she didn't invent. She learned it from someone else. But she said, Perry, you've got to get used to change. Life is always changing. It's that simple. You have to get used to change. It's a part of what it means to be finite and not infinite. However, there are certain things that do not change. Let me suggest a couple of them to you. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ doesn't change. The faithfulness of the Father is unchanging. The power and presence of God by means of the Holy Spirit is unchanging. The promises of God are unchanging. God himself, in his essence, is unchanging. Systematic theologians call this his immutability. God doesn't change. 
And this gives us tremendous comfort, doesn't it? It gives us something upon which to stand in the midst of changes and flux that we experience throughout this life. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is unchanging. Our situation in life changes, but God does not. What we are doing today may not be what we are doing tomorrow, but God will be doing tomorrow what he is doing today. God will be tomorrow who he is today. Our human leaders come and go, don't they? But finally, we are led by the unchanging God through Christ. He will choose to use one man one moment and then he will set that man aside. But the same God will choose to use another man and then eventually set that man aside and through it all we can be confident that it is God alone, the unchanging God who is leading us throughout life and into our inheritance received in Christ, when Christ returns. So first, in the midst of change, trust in the God who is unchanging. Second, remember that we are dispensable. This is related to what we've just said, but perhaps a bit more pointed. Remember that every single one of us is dispensable. Another way of saying that is that we are unnecessary. God doesn't need us. You see, when Moses is stepping aside, God is not in heaven wondering what to do. He's not biting his nails. He's not scrambling to find a plan B. No, Moses stepping aside is a part of God's plan. And with every change in leadership and with every change in position, With every new life and new death, we're reminded of our dispensability. We are unnecessary. And there is a tremendous freedom in that realization. Because when I begin to believe that the ministry I'm leading is dependent upon me, this is a weight that I cannot carry because God never intended for any merely human being to carry it. No, every one of us in our positions of leadership or positions of influence or relationships need to be reminded that there is tremendous freedom in knowing that finally, the success of this or anything good that may surface as a result of this fundamentally is dependent on the unchanging God He alone is indispensable. God had used Moses for decades to lead his people. He would now use Joshua. By the way, it is a tremendous joy to be used of the Lord, isn't it? Don't misunderstand what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting God doesn't use us. He indeed uses us. And we should celebrate our usefulness to God 
on account of his grace. On the other hand, what I am saying is don't confuse God's gracious employment of you in ministry with God's need of you in ministry. He doesn't need us. Many of you have likely heard of a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. The great 19th century, I believe, if I recall, he died in the 20th century, the very early stages of the 20th century. Missionary and founder of the China Inland Mission, now known as OMF. But fewer have heard of D.E. Host. Hudson Taylor is famous. D.E. Host was Hudson Taylor's successor. Host led the ministry for decades and was a tremendous instrument in the hands of the Lord to lead this ministry. But host is not the leader that solicits the memory as Hudson Taylor did. Colleagues remembered and do remember D.E. Host as one who, quote, lived to be forgotten in order that Christ may be remembered. What a testimony. May the Lord grant us the joy of living to be forgotten, that Christ may be remembered. We are dispensable. And I was reminded of this even over the last few years. I had the privilege of experiencing a transition in ministry. So many illustrations about my dispensability. I transitioned to this church just over two years ago, after serving as senior pastor at a church in Central Texas. And I had been there for 12 years serving in pastoral ministry. One of the most liberating and humbling realizations in ministry has come to me over the last six months to a year now that I have been gone from that church for over two years. The church that I pastored for 12 years does not need me. This morning, they did church, and I wasn't a part of it. This morning, another man faithful to the word of God stood up to exposit God's word, and it wasn't me. And God's church continues to thrive there without me. That's liberating, and that's freeing. In Deuteronomy 31, as we've seen, Israel faced a problem. Moses would not lead them into the land, but this problem was remedied by God's promise. God himself would lead Israel into the land through Joshua, who was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. Our practice by the power of the indwelling spirit now is to trust in the God who is unchanging in the midst of so much change and to remember that we are dispensable, unnecessary, used of the Lord indeed, but unnecessary. If you've been at this church long, and we'll close with this, so many things we could say, but if you've been at this church long, you experienced a significant transition in leadership. Just over a couple years ago, 
the man who had served this congregation for over three decades was graciously stepping aside. And you called a new and certainly less experienced senior pastor. A young senior pastor, not 80. A bit younger than 80. Not even halfway there yet. I have the unspeakable privilege of being that pastor for a season. The day will come when I, just like Pastor Phil, who sits in our congregation and worships with us every Lord's Day, will step aside. I promise you. I don't know how that transition will take place. I don't know if the Lord will lead in some other way. I don't know if he'll call me home. But at some point, I, like Pastor Phil, will step aside. And another, if the Lord tarries, will take my place. And this will continue until Jesus Christ comes back. Through it all, the church must learn to navigate change in leadership on the one hand, while trusting the unchanging God on the other. The man God uses, he will only use for a season. But we can rest, knowing that fundamentally the leader is never changing. Through the many men God calls to lead his people, it is Jesus. Jesus, not the son of none, the son of God, the head of the church that leads us. And Christ will never step aside from this leadership position. Ever. You can be confident of that. So as he said to Israel, and as he said to Joshua, so he says to us as a congregation this morning, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. First Baptist Powell, do not fear or be dismayed. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it has been to spend time in your word in Deuteronomy 31, to see the ways in which you instructed your people a few millennia ago and the ways in which even this Lord's Day morning you are instructing your people here at First Baptist Powell. Thank you for the ways in which your word consistently bears witness to Jesus Christ in whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. Thank you, Father, for the reminder that in the midst of change, we can trust the God who is unchanging. Thank you for the reminder that while we are used by you, what an eternal privilege that is, we are never necessary for you to succeed. We are dispensable. Father, thank you personally that I have the joy of serving as senior pastor here at First Baptist Powell, and I pray that in your mercy, you would grant me many, many years. But I pray that those years would empower this congregation not to trust in a mere man, but to trust in an unchanging God who provides 
stable and eternal leadership through Jesus Christ. In his name and in hope of his return, we pray these things and all God's people said, amen.